There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed. Song of the redeemed. Thank you, Brother McVeigh, for letting me preach uh, one more time on the podcast and I have a couple simple thoughts to look at here in the Word of God, and truly, I think I, I do not err to say that I do love to preach, because I love the Word of God, and I like to talk about it, I like to read it, but I'm going to look at Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, it says, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. So that's just a very simple way or simple definition of what a simple man does. Believes every word. Let's look at another passage. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. We're going to see two different entities are calling out to the simple. In verse 1 of chapter 9 in Proverbs says, Wisdom hath built her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars, she hath killed her beasts, she hath mingled her wine, she hath also furnished her table, she hath sent forth her maiden, she crieth upon the highest places of the city. Verse 4 says who she's calling to. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him. So, wisdom is calling out. She's calling to the simple. And verse 13 of the same chapter says, a foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple. So she's simple. And knoweth nothing, for she sitteth at the door of her house on a seat in the high places of the city to call passengers who go right on their ways. And she says the same thing as wisdom. Whoso is simple, let him turn in hither. As for him that wanteth understanding, she saith to him. I'm really just looking at the thought of this simple one that believeth every word that there's an unfortunate thing happening. There's two two callings to them, but they believe everything. Let's look at another uh, another passage concerning this. Let's look at Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It says the testimony of the Lord is sure. That's the testimony of God is sure. And how, how is it making wise the simple? Well, the simple believe every word. And if that was their condition, and they're going to believe every word of God, they're going to be wise. So I said the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. That's why wisdom's calling to the simple. Let's look at another one. Psalm 119, 129. 
Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. Why is the entrance of the words of God giving light and giving understanding unto the simple? Well, the simple have a blessed condition in which they believe every word. And if they're listening to the words of God, they believe every word. And it gives them understanding because of that. Verse 131. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. And uh, so there's, there's two paths a simple person can take. One that is simple. One is to believe every word of God. And that's a blessed condition. And certainly the Bible would recommend that over and over again. I've just looked at a couple where it wants you to do that. That's what God's, God wants you to believe every word. And I'd say if, any, if I've profited in God at all, if I've profited in Christ at all, it's because he's given me faith to believe the words of God, to stand upon them, and to just believe what God says in the word of God. That's, it's given me strength, it's given me understanding, and in some parts it's given me wisdom just to believe what I'm reading. Well, I'm going to move on to a different thought, and I really just laid down that to, to speak of what, did it, what is required in the study of the Word of God. Well, to come in simplicity and just believe it. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18 says, I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And I'm just here to tell you that that prophet is Jesus Christ. And that God the Father, Jesus Christ, said time and time again, he just spoke the words that the Father gave him. And that's what he did. So he did that. He spoke the words. And, and God said in, that, in this prophecy that Moses is speaking of, he said, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And verse 19 says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. God's going to require it of him. Going on a little bit farther. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? Verse 22. When, the pro when a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. So that's a pretty heavy, uh, pretty heavy line of reasoning that God has just laid out. And he's going to speak that. And he's speaking of the prophet, Jesus Christ, that's going to speak. And he's saying, if the thing follows not, then you don't have to listen to that. Not, not to be afraid of them. They've just spoken that presumptuously. So those things that Jesus Christ spake of, they came to pass. They came to pass. Or they're going to come to pass. Every last one of them. I'm going to look at another passage, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus Christ is speaking, 
said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. So Jesus Christ, in the role of that prophet, has just prophesied. He's just told them every single thing in that law and the prophets is going to be fulfilled. All of it. All of it. And he's saying, he's going to do it. He said, I'm not come to destroy the law or the prophets. He's come to fulfill it. So he's going to do it. So I'm just going to believe God that when Jesus Christ said that, that he was required at that point to fulfill it. Otherwise, I don't have to listen to him. As if he didn't fulfill it, and he's not going to fulfill it, then he's just spoken that word presumptuously. And nope, that's not the, that's not the case. God cannot lie. And Jesus Christ, he is God. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And I'm going to be looking at that very issue. The soul of Jesus Christ being made an offering for sin. This passage is speaking of the Messiah. And we know that the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed of God, is Jesus Christ. And according to this passage, it said, Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels in the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in heavens should be purified with these. And we know that those pattern of things was the tabernacle on earth. That's what it was. It was just a pattern of those things in heavens. But in verse 23, the second half says, But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So he's saying the tabernacle was just a pattern of those things in heaven, and it needed to be purged with blood, but the heaven for sure would need to be purged with better blood, with better sacrifices than these. Verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, speaking of that which is in heaven. He's not entered into the tabernacle on earth, which is just a figure of what's in heaven. But the second half says, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. So he's gone to heaven and he's gone with this better sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself, not of, blood, not of bulls and of goats. Verse 25 says, nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entered into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. What is that? That's a sin offering. 
That's the sin offering that he came to fulfill, that he spake and said, I will fulfill it. Leviticus chapter 6, verse 30. And no sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile with all in the holy place. You just wonder, those figures of the true, those things that were on earth, they are in heaven. And Christ has gone into heaven with his own blood as as a sin offering. What does it say about them? It says, and no sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile with all. Jesus Christ took his own blood into heaven to reconcile us to God, to reconcile himself to us. So this is speaking of this specific thing. It says, and no sin offering whereof any of the blood is brought into the tabernacle of the congregation to reconcile with all in the holy place shall be eaten. It shall be burnt in the fire. My friends, it's not just this one, this one passage that causes me to stand upon the doctrine that Jesus Christ's soul was in hell and that's where it was made an offering for my sin. It's because the doctrine over and over and over again is proved throughout the law of God. Throughout just the plain reading of Scripture, it declares it. You know what? I'm just simple enough to believe the Word of God, to just believe what it says verbatim. But not only that, if I had not that, I could look into the law of God and prove time and time again that Jesus Christ must fulfill the law. He could not just fulfill half a sacrifice, but fulfill the entirety of the sacrifice. Every last bit of it. Hebrews chapter 9, going back to it, verse 2 says, For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. See, he's describing the tabernacle. Verse 6. Now, these things were thus ordained. The priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood. He wasn't allowed to go in there without blood. He had to go in there with the blood of the sacrifices which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Verse 10 of Hebrews 9 says, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this blood, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now, if he went into the holy place having his own blood, and that blood was meant to reconcile us to him, and Leviticus chapter 6 verse 30 says that any blood that's brought into the holy place to reconcile with all, that sacrifice shall not be eaten, but shall be burnt in the fire, and it's an offering for sin. And the word of God said in Isaiah 53 that 
his soul is going to be made an offering for sin, then it was necessary and required that his soul must be burnt in fire. And the word of God plainly declares that, that his soul was not left in hell. Neither did his flesh see corruption. Plainly says it. Folks might think I, I came to that conclusion after hearing other men, and you're right, I, have, I, I wrestled over the thought and heard, heard many times that doctrine preached and wondered at it, and in just the preparation for these, these words, have wrestled over it. And yet, what can I do but believe the word of God? It's plainly written. I will just believe the word of God and stand upon it. That's how I came to God in faith. That's what I stand upon. It's the word of God. But Christ, verse 11 of Hebrews 9, But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of goats, or if the for if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God by the sacrifice of himself? Hallelujah. Thank God for that. I'm going to look at another passage in Mark chapter 12, verse 24. So the Sadducees have come with a pet doctrine of theirs to Jesus Christ, and they, they have questioned him concerning this, this matter of the resurrection because the Sadducees did not believe that there was a res- resurrection. They just didn't believe that. And they've come to Jesus Christ, and they've just described a scenario in which a man or a woman has had seven different husbands, all from the same family according to the law, and each one died without raising up seed. And so they asked Jesus Christ, uh, whose, whose wife shall she be in the resurrection? And they said this, not believing that there was a resurrection. You have to understand, they said that not believing that. This was a temptation in. This was to see what he would answer. They didn't believe for one second that that woman or those men would ever be resurrected. But they were in error. Mark chapter 12, verse 24 says, And Jesus answering said unto them, Do you not therefore err, because you know not the scriptures, neither the power of God? For when for when they shall rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels which are in heaven. Verse twenty six And as touching the dead that they rise. Have you not read in the book of Moses how in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham? and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. My friends, how did that prove that there was a resurrection? Because he said, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I am. Currently, right now, I'm their God. How was that proof? Because the word of God was so powerful. It was so truthful. It was so accurate that after one time saying it, that was sufficient. May it be so for us. I believe the doctrine of the soul of Jesus Christ going to hell for me as a sin offering for me. Not because it's said once, nor twice, but it's many times spake of. And it's many times alluded to in the word of God. 
and the in the doctrine of him having to fulfill the law every little bit i can see within the law that jesus christ had to do those things it behooved him to do them god is a lawful god verse 27 of that says he is not the god of the dead but the god of the but the god of the living ye therefore do greatly err why they don't believe the word of god they didn't believe the plain reading of the word of God. The plain reading of the word of God showed them what that what what that there was a resurrection. They just didn't believe it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Some of the passages I wrestled over in my thoughts as I put this together. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 says, "But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. And I, as I thought about this, I thought, am I, am I doing this? Am I doing this very thing? But no. The word, I'm going according to the word of God. I speak according to the word of God. The word of God has, has spoken these things. I'm not preaching another gospel. I'm preaching exactly what the word of God said. If there's a gospel that's contrary to it, it's another gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So, he died for our sins. What was that next bit? According to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. God did everything he did according to the scriptures, every last bit. You do not err to hold on to the word of God, to believe the words of God. They that would disagree with the words of God are they that do err. Amen and amen. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning, and he longs to return to the Lord. As he cries for forgiveness and mercy, God is waiting. You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania, 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption called night. There only was now the angels of God are rejoicing.
Saints all with gladness are seen. 